Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. I want to direct your attention this morning to verse 17, Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. And you follow along as I read our text verses this morning down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We've been in Romans chapter 12 for a while and just breaking this chapter, this particular chapter down. And uh, we, in this section here, the Apostle Paul is really talking about the duties of the Christian. Uh, he talks about the duties of the Christian inside the New Testament church. He's also talking about the duties of a Christian uh, out in the world, in the community as well. And it all stems back to verses 1 and 2, where Paul says to... Present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord and to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we were there last week talking about what that meant. And then Paul goes on to talk about how we ought to conduct ourselves in the church and men ought not to think more highly of themselves than they ought. And we ought to serve one another and serve the Lord as God and as the Holy Spirit has given us gifts to do and how we ought to treat one another. Verse 9 let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. Verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love, and, and so on. And so this is the, still the framework that the Apostle Paul is speaking in as we get to our text verses, where Paul says to recompense to no man evil for evil. He says to provide things honest in the sight of all men. And he says, if it's possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And then he says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And then he, he makes the application. Therefore, if all of these things are true, if thine enemy hunger... Here's how you should respond. Feed him, your enemy. If he thirst, here's how you should respond. Give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk to you this morning out of this passage of Scripture about doing right even when you've been wronged. And the thoughts this morning are very relevant uh, and practical and applicable to our Christian life. And so I want us to consider this passage and see how Paul teaches that the Christ-like response to being wronged uh, is to do right towards your enemy, leaving the rest of it with God. And that's where we're going to go this morning. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd Instruct us and teach us from the Word of God. Lord, You've given the Word to us, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive truth today as it is for our good, it's for our completing, it's for our sanctification. And Lord, may you, the response that, that you receive today, may it be pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of times in life where you come across uh, people or situations arise where, where you're treated wrongfully. That could be a daily thing. That could find itself manifesting inside of families, inside of homes, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, etc. Where, where the fact is, is that we're sinners and people treat each other in wrong ways. And then we have a choice to make in how we're going to respond. And our responses oftentimes are fleshly as well. And we're going to talk about this today, doing right when you're wronged. And again, you, you, you've had instances in your own life uh, where people have done you wrong, but rarely have we ever come across things where, where the experiences are so traumatic or, or life-changing that we experience real persecution in our lives. Rarely does that ever happen for us living in America. Not so in other countries. Some people suffer very traumatic wrongs to them. And I could probably tell you a story or two, even of servants of the Lord. I think the Apostle Paul suffered some real wrongs done to him because of his service to Jesus Christ. And if anybody could speak on this subject of doing right when you've been wrong, it's probably the Apostle Paul. The sufferings that he took in his own body for the cause of Christ, the way that he responded could only have been uh, under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Apostle Paul says the Christ-like response to being wronged is to do right, even towards your enemy, and leave the rest of it with God. We have walked through these sections here in chapter 12, and what we have found in the previous section, when we were in verses 14 through 16, the thread that tied all of those things together was selflessness or self-denial. And you can look in verse 14. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. We were there a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> how selflessness was the thread that tied all of those things together. You cannot rejoice with them that rejoice or weep with them that weep when your mind is only focused on yourself. Why is it that people cannot be happy for other people when good things are happening to them? Why is that? Why can't I be happy and rejoice with you because of a blessing in your life? Why is there this negativity or negative feelings that come with that? Why is that? Because of a selfish mindset, a self-focused attitude. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That same thought and same thread is tied into our text verses. Because the natural reaction, Paul says, recompense no man evil for evil. The natural reaction is to respond in an equal manner to how we've been treated. That's what our flesh wants to do. And our aim in the Christian life must be, as Paul's was, to number one, exalt the Lord Jesus Christ 
above everything else. Whether in life or whether in death, our aim ought to be exalting Jesus Christ. And the way that we respond here on earth and to other people is a reflection of, of whether or not we are giving honor and glory and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about this today, and our desire should be that all the people around us, whether it's friends, family, church members, or even enemies, our desire ought to be that they would come to know the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in their own life too. And so rather than responding to evil done against us with evil or with vengeance, we are commanded to respond with the love of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that overcomes evil, overcome evil with good. The world says, the motto of the world is, don't get mad, get even. You've heard that, right? We've heard that motto out there. But the Lord says, love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. That's a tall order and a high command that we cannot do in our own flesh. And so let's break this, these verses down, unpack them, make some applications for us along the way as well. The first thought and principle is found in verse 17. Would you look at it again, please? Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. And what we find here is that the wrong response to being wronged is to pay it back with more wrong. You understand that? The wrong response is to pay it back with more wrong. Paul says three times in this portion of Scripture, and he says it in slightly different ways for some emphasis, but he says this very thought, the wrong response to wrong is to pay it back with more wrong. He says in verse 17, don't recompense to any man evil for evil. In verse 19, he says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. He says in verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul gives a similar command in other portions of Scripture. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep your place here. And look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look in verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. The Bible says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And so his instruction to uh, the church in Thessalonica is the same. Don't render evil for evil, but follow that which is good among yourselves and to all men. Uh, Paul gives, uh, Peter actually gives a similar thought in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. The Apostle Peter wrote to, church, to saints of God in general, and he was writing to saints of God who were experiencing severe persecution. That's the context in which he's writing, and his, his instruction to them is don't render evil for evil. The persecution you're experiencing is, yes, it's wrong, it's evil, but don't pay it back in kind. He says, rather, contrarywise, meaning do the opposite. Give blessing instead, with an understanding that you're called uh, to this kind of a life that, that those who live godly in Christ Jesus 
shall suffer persecution. And understand that that is part of the sufferings of Christ. Returning evil for evil is something that it may not be as severe as getting revenge, but it's still forbidden in the Word of God. Let me give you an example how it applies, how this principle applies in our daily life. We may not experience physical persecution where you know our homes are taken from us and burned and, and those kinds of things. But rendering evil for evil can look something like this. A husband who comes home from work, he's had a stressful day. Maybe he's hungry, a little hangry. His attitude may not be exactly right. And he comes home and a wife, you know, lays something out for him or sort of just dumps her day on him and, and he's not in the right frame of mind. And so he's sort of in his flesh. And so he might snap unkindly at his wife for the, for the things that she's laid out on him. And he might say something like, give me a minute. You know, like I've had a tough day. I don't need to hear about all this kind of stuff right now. His attitude may not be right toward it all. And the wife might pick up on that a little bit and she might get her feelings hurt a little bit. And so instead of responding kindly in return, she responds in a way that's cold, with a cold shoulder, and I'm not speaking to you for a while because we're not on speaking terms or good grounds right now. Was it wrong for the husband to react that way to her? Yes, it was. Is it equally wrong for the response then to be a cold shoulder? It is. That's the idea behind rendering evil for evil. She isn't plotting her revenge against him and his demise that night. She's not going to poison his food or anything like that, but she's not exactly blessing him either. He was wrong to begin with. But that's the idea of this returning evil for evil. And you can make, I'm not picking on ladies at all when I give that example. We could reverse that. Absolutely, we could reverse that. But that's the, the fleshly response. That's how we respond so often. That's what rendering evil for evil looks like. Or if somebody makes a cutting remark that hurts my pride or my ego, I'm going to counter that with an equally cutting remark to get back at you in some way or to make myself feel better. That's returning evil for evil. Revenge is something that maybe goes a step beyond just returning evil for evil. And revenge is motivated in pride. People can be very vindictive. Someone's sinful actions against us, they wound our pride. Or the way that they have, I feel they've treated me has wounded my pride or my ego. So I want to get even to restore my honor. There's a lot of cultures around the world that are driven by honor codes. You know that? One family or tribe offends another family or tribe, and so the offended party retaliates by inflicting revenge. And that momentarily makes them feel good, puts them on the top, but only until their rival can devise a way to get even with them again. 
you know, the Hatfields and McCoys, the whole feud kind of idea. Sometimes those feuds go on for centuries. And what do they result in? They result in a lot of hurt, a lot of damage, and even bloodshed. The application for this, though, is that the natural and the fleshly response that we often have is, he hit me, so I'm going to hit him harder. That's the natural fleshly response. And there are three things here that we need to understand in this passage. Look at verse 18. Go back to our text and look at verse 18. The Bible says in verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The first thing that we need to understand here is that vengeance or returning evil for evil, it never ever leads to more peace. It only leads to more vengeance. And it disobeys the command of verse 18, if it's possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. How many, how many rifts and how many feuds inside of churches go on and on and on? And how much, how much dissension and no peace inside of churches goes on and on and on because people do not uh, uh, look at and want to abide by the scriptural command, if it's possible, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. Now, there are times when things can't be reconciled. That's true. They won't be, or, but it's not because it's not. That's not because there's two parties who have humble hearts who want to make things right. Because if there's two parties who have a humble heart who want to make things right, it's going to be made right. Because we want to serve God, we want to love God, we want to bless others. I want to be right with my brother. But when one refuses, sometimes there's not really anything that you can do. But as much as lieth in you, as much as you can, ha- as you can control about yourself, live peaceably with all men. Vengeance or getting even or returning evil for evil inside of a marriage relationship, it never leads to more peace. Secondly, vengeance usurps something that belongs to God. Notice verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, we're incompetent to carry out the right kind of justice. We're incompetent to do that. Or to recompense in the right way. Because we, we cannot know all that there is to know We cannot know all the motives of somebody's heart. We can't know all the circumstances behind something that we even perceive as wrongful action towards us. And besides that, our emotions get involved and it clouds our judgment. Only God, who knows all things, is competent and righteous to judge. And so the Bible says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And God said, I will repay. I'm keeping track. I know what's really going on. And in the end, justice is going to be done. 
The third thing is that revenge succumbs to evil rather, in, rather than conquering evil with good. That's what verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, as difficult as it is, and it's difficult in this life, it's always wrong to respond wrongly with more wrong. Does that make sense? Paying back evil for evil or taking revenge is always motivated in selfishness and pride. And it doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't honor how merciful God is to us. And it will not lead to conversion or change in the one who has sinned against you or done wrong. And so the admonition is, first of all, the wrong response to wrong is to pay it back with more wrong. Let's look at the second thought and principle here. The second thought is that the right response is to do right toward your enemy. Notice what verse 17 says again. Provide things in the second part. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now look at verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And verse 21 says, don't be overcome of evil, but rather overcome evil with good. And so here over and over again in these verses, we find that the right response is to do right towards your enemy. Now, let's break that down a little bit. Because there's some instruction in here. First of all, to do right towards your enemy requires some forethought. Verse 17 gives us that idea. The second part of verse 17 says, Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That's not just a random statement that's thrown in the middle of all of this. It definitely ties in. And there's some words we need to understand here. Notice the word provide. The word provide, it means to consider in advance. It means to look out beforehand. All right, so Paul says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. He's talking about considering in advance, look out beforehand. Have some forethought, okay? Everybody got that? Everybody understand that? The word things honest, it comes from a Greek word that, that, that talks about something that is good or something that is valuable. All right, so we're, we're thinking ahead. It's forethought about something that is good and something that is valuable. And the idea behind what Paul is saying here is it means take some thought in advance for what is visibly good in the eyes of others. And the idea behind it is not, I'm so concerned about what others think. The idea behind it is, watch out for your testimony because you represent Jesus Christ. That's the idea behind it. Your testimony is at stake here when someone has done you wrong. Does that make sense? Paul's not saying to shape our behaviors based on public opinions. Because most of the time, when that happens, that's something that's contrary to the Word of God. But he is saying that we need 
to be mindful of responses so as to be a testimony to a watching world. And people are always watching, whether it's out there in the community or whether it's inside of your own home, people are watching. What will others think of Christ from observing our responses when wrong has been done to us? Reacting fleshly, it's not a good reflection of Jesus Christ. So let's make that application. I was just challenged with this, actually, this last week, maybe a week ago or two weeks ago, something like that. But you know, it's true that people are always watching somewhere. That could be in the church, it could be in the community, or it could be your kids in your home. They're always watching. And this is a great reminder for us when it comes to this thought. We need to be mindful of our responses so as to be a testimony to those who are watching. What will our kids think of Jesus Christ when they observe our interactions one with another? Right? There are disagreements that happen. That's a fact of life. And there are times when we don't respond rightly. But you know what? When parents are arguing, or parents are, are nipping at each other, or parents are snipping at each other, parents' responses back and forth to each other are aggressive, or passive-aggressive, or any other kind of aggressive you want to throw at it. Whenever there's this, this back and forth that is not like Christ, guess what? It's having an effect and making an impact on those who are watching. Let's challenge with that. And it requires some forethought. It requires some, it requires some, some constant reminding that, that I am reflecting Jesus Christ. And what kind of an impact am I making on my children and their, uh, their idea of the Lord Jesus Christ based on how I respond? Amen? Come on. That's what Paul is talking about here. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Consider in advance. Look out beforehand the things that are good and valuable. Take some thought in advance to what others see. Not shaping my behavior based on public opinion, but being mindful of my responses so I can, I can be the right kind of testimony to those who are watching. And reacting fleshly is not a good reflection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The right response is to do right towards your enemies. It requires some forethought. Secondly, doing right may not result in peace, but it should be our aim. And we see that in verse 18, if it be possible, he says. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Doing right may not result in peace, but it should be our aim. Sometimes in spite of all that we do, the other person, the other party, whatever it is, just will not make peace. Paul says, if it's possible, as much as lieth within you. In other words, from your side, 
on your part. And whatever you can control, live in peace. In other words, we need to understand that we should not add strife to situations with obnoxious behavior or words. It really does take two opposing forces to create friction. Doesn't it? And there might be one who just doesn't and won't adjust and they won't make it right. But from all that I can control and before God, I've done what I can possibly do to make things right. And I need to live in peace as much as possible. We may not control what others do. We cannot control what others think. But we sure can control what we do and how we respond. And the application and the injunction is, do whatever is possible. Even bend over backwards to live in peace if that's what it takes. Now, we're not talking about compromise. Certainly not. That's not what we're talking about here. But on a life level, you know what? Your neighbor across the street or you know, around the corner or whatever, he, you know, he, he's just the persnickety type and he's, just, and he's got something to complain about and he's got this and he's got that and I'm just trying to live my life. But you know what? Uh, it's causing friction with my neighbor just because I, uh, I'm living a certain way. And instead of saying, you know what? Uh, buzz off, buddy. Go live your life. I ought to, as a Christian, be willing to say, okay, you know what? For the sake of peace and for the cause of Jesus Christ and reflection of the Lord, I'm not going to tell him what for. In fact, I'm just going to deny myself a little bit when that's the case in order to maintain peace and be a testimony of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It's not okay to have feuds with others, especially in the church or with our families or with our neighbors. It's not okay. Why is it not okay to have feuds going on? Well, first of all, because God's word commands it. Look in Romans chapter 14. And look at verse 19, Romans 14 and verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. The command of Scripture is to follow after the things that are going to make for peace. Why is it, why is it that people always seem to have a chip on their shoulder? Or why is it that, you know, and sometimes Baptists are this way, We've got a handle on truth, and I'm standing on right, and I'm standing on truth, and anybody that's a little bit different than me or disagrees with me, why is that? I can serve the Lord, and I can hold the line of truth and still not have a feud going on with somebody who disagrees or is different. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to move. And we may not sit down and have dinner together. That may not be the thing either. But it doesn't mean there has to be a feud. 
And we could make all kinds of other applications. The word simply says, follow after the things that make for peace. We're not talking about compromise, but things that actually may edify one another. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, where we've been on Wednesday night, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and what? Peace, long-suffering, and gentleness. The fruit of a Spirit-controlled life is going to result in peace when that is possible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 15. You can turn over there. There's a few passages we'll just look at here, so turn quickly. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 15. The Bible says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. The Word of God commands to follow that which is good. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 22. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Follow after the things that are right and things that make for peace. James chapter 3 and verse 17. The point is, why is it not okay to continue on or have feuds going on? Because the Word of God commands it. For James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The wisdom that's from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Look a few verses back. The Bible says, verse 14, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. It's the opposite. When there's envying and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above, it's the opposite of that. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. So the Word of God commands it to follow after peace. But secondly, another reason why it's not okay to have feuds going on is for the gospel's sake, for the testimony of Jesus Christ and the sake of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Interesting thought. Interesting thought here. You want to be a testimony for Jesus Christ? You want to represent Christ? You want people to see the Lord? Follow peace with all men and holiness. And so the wrong response to being wronged is to pay it back with wrong. The right response when you're wrong is to do right towards your enemy. He says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. It suggests that Christians, listen, Christians live in a glass house and must be aware that others are watching. 
You know, we could have the attitude, like, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody else sees or thinks. Listen, that's the wrong attitude for a believer in light of Romans chapter 14. People are watching us, and as much as possible, we should live peaceably with all men. And of course, we cannot compromise with sin. We cannot have a peace at any price kind of an attitude. Certainly not. But we ought to have the spirit of peacemakers for the Lord's sake and for the gospel's sake. And lastly, I want you to look back in our text at verse 19. 19 through 21. And the principle that we'll see here is that having responded to wrong with right, we can just leave the rest of it with God. Okay? Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved... Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the thought here is, you've responded rightly, all you can do and what you should do is leave the rest of it with God. You can leave all vengeance to the Lord. Paul commands in verse 19 not to take vengeance on others, uh, especially if it's related to a personal thing, personal revenge. The word avenge here, it means to vindicate or retaliate. Okay, so read it again. Avenge not yourselves. The word avenge, it means to vindicate or retaliate. And then he says, give place to wrath. In other words, he says, give room, yield, put wrath in its place. And then he says, it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Romans 13 and verse 4 the Bible says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. He's talking about authorities, maybe law enforcement, etc. Ministers of God to revenge or execute wrath upon them that do evil. We could read in all kinds of passages this thought or this idea, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Paul's point is that God is the final judge. And God will repay, in the end, all those who do not repent. And so, if that is true, you can leave your case in the hands of God, knowing that He will be righteous and just in doing and executing exactly what needs to be done to all those who have sinned against him and even you. I think the Apostle Paul practiced that in his life. All of the persecution he experienced for the cause of Christ, Paul didn't avenge himself. And so our aim should be to bless the persecutor. Verse 14 tells us, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verse 20 says, if your enemy hungers, feed him. 
Don't retaliate. And so the idea here is God is in control. God is watching. God is keeping track and God is keeping record. There are going to be those who refuse to repent and who won't make it right. But you know what? We don't have to seek revenge because God will right all wrongs in his time. I just want you to look at verse 20 one more time because I want us to see what does Paul mean when he says, For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So he says, Do right to your enemy. And in doing so, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. Paul is citing Proverbs chapter 25. You can turn over there. Proverbs chapter 25, in verse 21. The Bible says here, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. So Paul is citing the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 25 about your good deeds heaping burning coals of fire on your enemy's head. Now, if you were to read the commentaries related to this, most commentators say that the burning coals that he speaks of are burning pangs of shame that may bring the wrongdoer to a place of repentance. So, in other words, your good deeds will bring burning coals of shame in their life that's going to bring them around to repentance. That might be partially true, but if you study out this thought in the Old Testament, when you see references to burning coals in the Old Testament, it always refers to God's judgment. Psalm 140, for example, Psalm 140 says this, verse, Psalm 140, verse Seven. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked devices, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. And so the contrast with the psalmist is that the upright are going to be blessed of God and dwell in the presence of God. But the wicked, he says, let burning coals fall upon them. Let, they be, let them be cast into the fire. And when you study out the burning coals in the Old Testament, it's referring to God's judgment. And so what does Paul mean then when he says, in so doing, you're going to cast burning coals of fire on their head. Well, I would suggest that the meaning of that verse would be that if you do good towards your enemy and he doesn't repent, you can rest assured that God will one day handle the matter as the righteous judge of all. That's the context. 
And our motive in doing the good deeds is it's not to increase our enemy's judgment on their own head, but prayerfully to bring them to repentance. But if they don't repent, if it's not made right, you can know that God will ultimately be the righteous judge. The principle stated here is that the believer has turned himself and the situation over to the Lord. That falls right in line with verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And because you turn yourself over to the Lord, the Lord will take care of you. The Lord will fight the battles. We need spiritual wisdom when it comes to dealing with enemies, especially enemies of the cross. And we better not be a bad testimony. Amen? We don't want to be a bad testimony on the one hand, but we also don't want to cheapen the gospel on the other hand. We need the Lord's wisdom. Now, there were times when the Apostle Paul defended himself. He used Roman law at least three times to defend himself, to protect himself, and to protect the testimony of the gospel. And yet, he was still willing to become all things to all men so that some would be one to Christ. Paul suffered for persecution for the cause of Christ. And the thought is, and the principle is, if we would practice Romans 12, 1 and 2 and have a surrendered life to the Lord, we can be sure that God is going to protect us or direct us and enable us to do the things that are commanded in the Word of God. So, in conclusion, the hard question that this Scripture leaves us with is this. Have I paid back evil for evil in my life? Is that something that I practice in my responses to other people? Is that my pattern with my spouse? Is that the way that I deal with my kids or my brothers and sisters? How are my relationships in the church? How are my relationships with extended family? Is that how I deal with difficult people at work or in the neighborhood? You understand what I'm saying? If that's been a part of my life, maybe I don't physically retaliate, but my responses and my words reflect that attitude of heart. If that's been a part of my life, what I need to do is first ask the, admit it, and then ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then figure out a way to try to make things right, if it's possible, with those that I wrong. But, if those have, there are those who've wronged me, and they don't repent, what I ought to do, instead of not caring about their life anymore or writing them off, what I ought to do is find ways to bless them instead. To pray for them. 
to show kindness to them. That's how you do right, even when you've been wrong. That makes sense? It's a hard challenge. Hard challenge. But we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And with His enabling and a Spirit-controlled life, we can live according to the Word of God, how it teaches us to live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, instruct us, teach us from Your Word. And Lord, I pray that the response of the heart today would be one of surrender to You. And Lord, may You accomplish Your will as you see fit, that you might be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.